Salo Falava, you listen to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up first, we're launching our Pacific Partnership Strategy, the first national U.S. strategy for Pacific Island. U.S. President Joe Biden outlines commitments to the Pacific at the Leaders' Summit. Also, I think the challenge we're facing now is the training, because that costs money. A new employment policy is in the works in Vanuatu to address potential loss of workers. And later on... Our rates amongst the particularly young Pacifica is, um, is quite high in terms of mental, you know, poor mental well-being. In light of Mental Health Awareness Week, we tell our with Dr Dan Tautolo on Pacifica mental well-being. The U.S. President Joe Biden has announced a raft of economic and development commitments to Pacific Island nations. It followed two days of talks with delegates and leaders from 14 Pacific countries at the first ever United States and Pacific Island Leaders Summit in Washington, D.C. Finau Funua has more. At this historic summit, we're, we're making additional and concrete commitments. And uh, we're launching our Pacific Partnership Strategy, the first national U.S. strategy for Pacific Islands. President Biden's declaration of commitments included a pledge of 810 million U.S. dollars towards aid and development projects in the Pacific, covering everything from climate change resilience to maritime security. He also promised greater diplomatic presence in the Pacific, which included plans to establish embassies in Tonga, Kiribati, and Solomon Islands. Some of the commitments outlined in the declaration, however, demanded clarity such as Biden's recognition of Niue and the Cook Islands as sovereign states, despite the sovereignty of both states never having been disputed by any other country, or commitments to negotiate terms in the United States Free Compact of Association Agreements with Palau, the Marshall Islands, and the Federated States of Micronesia. Not that the U.S. has any choice, as the agreements are set to expire next year and already requires a negotiation of terms. Regardless, it's a strong statement by Washington, D.C. to strengthen its influence in the Pacific region, a region which has become a geopolitical battleground for influence between China and the West. The Vanuatu government will commence the development of its first national employment policy to address a potential skills drain in its country. Vanuatu acknowledges that its domestic employment pool will be affected by the expansion of the recognised seasonal employer, or REC scheme, announced by New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Rachel Nath reports. Vanuatu's Labour Commissioner Muriel Maltanova says while this expansion is welcome news for the country, it brings attention to bigger employment crises that could be arising on the island. There are so many complaints already in, in the domestic labour markets with the brain drain of uh, our workers to the uh, labour mobility programme. So um, through the department I lead and with the technical support from ILO, we are working to establish our ever first national employment policy to address those gaps in um, employment um, sector within our domestic market. She says the national employment policy will assist in finding a sustainable solution for both countries. Envisaged and anticipated that um, that new or those at uh, this new uh, employment policy will address uh, the current gap in identifying skilled um, labor in Vanuatu and also provide balance of how many workers uh, or skilled workers are going to be part of the program 
and how many are going to stay back in our domestic market. A consultant for the UN International Labour Organization, Kenya Albernasi, says the policy will provide a consolidated and comprehensive guideline for various employment sectors in Vanuatu. Able to develop a very coherent framework for employment, um, as well as also establishing a, a, a platform for coordination and collaboration across line ministries and also uh, with the uh, uh, social uh, partners, employers, and workers organizations in, in Vanuatu. The Pacific tourism industry is another sector that loses skilled workers to the RSE scheme. As the region works together towards recovery from COVID-19, South Pacific Tourism Organization Chief Executive Chris Cocker says the issues of brain drain and labor shortages are temporary. He says if Pacific skill drainage is occurring to Australia and New Zealand, then these countries can also provide a solution by upskilling local workers. I think the challenge we are facing now is the training because that costs money. And I think it's the New Zealand and Australia who are doing this recognised labour scheme consider probably helping our private sector, supporting them with subsidising, or supporting the cost of training new people into these vacant positions that are happening in the Pacific, but also to retrain people who have been away from the sector, etc., into these positions. While welcoming the RSE scheme expansion, Chris Cocker adds a collaborative approach from all parties is needed for a win-win solution. Tourism is very seasonal in the Pacific. We have our high, our, our low and also our high in this case. Maybe if, uh, if it happens, maybe it could be timed that taking off our labour from, from the Pacific will be during the low season because there won't be much jobs and, 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 and it'd be a low season. New Zealand announced an extra 3,000 seasonal workers under the RSE scheme that would be able to be brought in as relief for the horticulture sector, bringing the total to 19,000 workers. Employers must provide sick leave along with the existing $22.10 New Zealand dollars minimum wage requirement in a new development. This announcement is the largest in over a decade, showing an increase of 19% from the previous season. Seeing how well Pacific countries are upholding human rights is now available through a new global data. The Pacific team for the global project hopes that the data will be effective and lead to improvements in the way communities are treated. Jan Kohut reports. The Human Rights Measurement Initiative tracks each country's performance in relation to civil, political and economic issues. For the Pacific, it specifically monitors matters such as climate crisis, indigenous sovereignty, land ownership, cultural rights and violence. Pacific Data co-lead Dr. Sitafili Patrick-Thompson says the idea of how to collect the data came through a workshop attended by Pacific advocates. The participants from various Pacific countries and backgrounds delivered a very clear message to me. They wanted a separate set of questions to be developed around some of the issues they felt were pertinent to Pacific countries and peoples. As such, they identified the following areas they felt were important for us to collect data around that resonated with our peoples in the region. Thompson hopes these measurements will be developed further as they continue to gather data throughout the Pacific region. The HRMI co-founder Anne-Marie Brooks says governments, NGOs and the general public will be able to use the data. 
But some of the advice I got from the directors at the OECD when I started asking them about it was, well, if you've got data, because then you can include those data in a kind of more analytical kind of framework, which kind of takes out some of the heat of the political sensitivity. For example, if, if I was to talk about a, an anecdote of a journalist being you know, arrested um, for criticising the government, that wouldn't be allowed. There are 200 countries listed in the data. Co-founder Chad Clay says experts who specialise in particular rights provide accurate data. The best data available, which is the knowledge of researchers, advocates, lawyers, journalists, and others whose very work rotates around monitoring and understanding the frequency of civil and political rights abuses in their countries. Uh, We do this through a secure anonymous online survey. um, And as of this year, we have scores for around 40 countries on each of these rights. The Pacific data comes from the same expert survey approach, but with different questioning, thanks to the help of Pacific advocates. A new study by New Zealand's AUT University has found Pacifica and Māori youth experience higher levels of mental issues compared to other groups. The study coincides with Mental Health Awareness Week, which ends on October 2nd. Finau Funua spoke with Pacific researcher Dr. Dan Tautolo and began by asking him the significance of Mental Health Awareness Week for Pacifica communities. So Mental Health Awareness Week, so yeah, I, I guess it's, it's a week... Um, um, at this, you know, this time in New Zealand, where we, um, yeah, I guess, put a more of a focus or an emphasis on mental health awareness, being aware that you know a lot, of, a lot this is a, a growing issue for our communities and our families, um, particularly amongst our, our Māori and Pacifica communities, and um, yeah, just I, I, I guess just trying to put a bit more emphasis and focus on understanding what's going on. And uh, what are what are some of the things that we can do to support and help um, our people that may be suffering some of these kinds of issues? I suppose, yeah. Uh, you you said um, in particular Maori and, and Pacific people um, uh, is mental illness disproportionately affecting um, Pacifica and Maori. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, yeah, if you look at the stats and stuff, you know, our rates amongst uh, particularly young Pacifica is um, is quite high uh, in terms of mental, you know, poor mental well-being and uh, you know uh, suicide stuff and all and all of those kinds of issues. So yeah, it's it's something that um, we all need to be aware of um, if we're not already, and. Um, you know, we, we, we need to, um, I suppose, equip ourselves or um, prepare ourselves with strategies or, or things that we can do to help and support, identify and, um, and yeah, tr- try and help our, our young people that may be going through some of these issues. Uh, have any, um, any reasons been identified for why um, Pacifica and Māori have um, higher rates in areas of mental illness? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of sort of stuff done um, looking at mental well-being amongst Pacific people. For this um, study that we did, we particularly focused on depression and looking at um, the relationship between particular risk factors and symptoms of depression in Pacific um, adolescents, so aged about 17. And, um, yeah, we managed to pull out a few sort of key things which seem to um, be important uh, in terms of you know, their relationship with friends, their relationship with family, particularly with um, mothers, 
and also, um, you know, what's going on at school in the school environment and those kinds of things, yeah. And what's the main challenge for um, Pacifica um, in terms of um, mental illness, uh, um, tackling mental illness in Pacifica communities? Um, oh, the main challenge. Well, well, I mean, uh, the, I mean, the findings from this study in particular found that um, relationships between mother and child uh, seem to be really important in terms of some symptoms of depression. So, I mean, we've known about a lot of these kinds of things um, previously, but I, I guess what this study does is it contributes more more evidence and support about the importance of that whole mother-child dynamic. And um, even though, you know, our, our study, this study looked at Pacific adolescence, I, I, I think those relationships and that dynamic is set up uh, much earlier in life, so when the kids are younger. So, I mean, in terms of that particular, um, you know, issue, uh, anything that we can do that can support um, that positive relationship in terms of mothers and children, um, you know, in terms of government things, whether that means supporting them to not have to go back to work so early and be able to spend more time with their kids before they have to go back, um, more financial support for them in terms of, um, you know, providing those things that their, their children need. All of, the, all of those kinds of um, supports would be, would be useful, I suppose, in terms of helping to foster that positive uh, mother-child relationship. Um, and the other thing that uh, sort of seemed to come out was the importance of schools and the school environment and um, those sort of peer relationships with friends. And so, um, you know, I think schools, um, you know, need to be resourced appropriately to be able to provide those positive um, environments and build that positive um, culture um, for our for our students so that they can thrive and flourish. Yeah. Just one more question. Um with uh is is it true that there is um with Pacifica with with um with males in general there's a greater reluctance to seek help in regards to depression? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that, I guess it wasn't something we particularly focused on in, in our study, but I, I think in general that seems to be the case um, amongst, a, you know, a, a lot of people, a speaker in, in general. Um, but I, I suppose particularly males is, um, yeah, maybe that reluctance to speak or talk about it. But, I, you know, I think that's slowly turning around. And I think initiatives like, you know, Mental Health Awareness Week help to create that um, the understanding and, the, and, and try and create that space or that environment for people to feel comfortable to come forward and talk about these kinds of issues, to feel um, comfortable to open up and talk to the, um, you know, to whoever they need to talk to somebody about what's going on for them and um, try and seek help. That's Pacific Ways for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Manuele Bayasu, Tsofa Soifua.